All right, because you haven't had me in a while, I'll, just, uh, I'll address Pierce Slater and get that out of the way first, and then we can get to whatever questions you have. How's that? All right, so last Saturday morning, a little bit before 6 o'clock, I was getting ready for our scrimmage and family day and all that stuff, and he came into my office telling me he had received a phone call at 4 o'clock in the morning and had a family medical emergency. So, of course, you do what we, what we do is we get him to the, got him to the airport as quickly as we could, and he went home and called us to say that he'd landed safely and he got home and, you know, everything was going okay um, without going into details because, you know, I can't. And uh, we communicated several times over the next few days, um, both Saturday morning and then uh, once he had gotten back, I had said to him, you know, it would really be good if things were okay at home. It would really be good if you got back by Friday night because picture day's on Saturday and I'd like for you to be in the picture. But ultimately, the best time to be back by would be back by Sunday night because school starts on Monday. Because really, the bottom line is this is about going to school. And with school starting Monday, I think that anyone coming in is, gets at a little bit of a disadvantage if they come to school late. And as of right now, I have no idea when, if, and, if and when he'll get here. Okay, I've not, uh, I've I texted him again uh, this morning, uh, re reiterating those things that I just told you. I've not heard from him, you know, uh, I've not heard from him, and you know, I'm just taking him for his word and that it is what it is, and when I know something, you'll know something. So that's what I know. Uh, so there's no sense going into, well, what about this and what about that, because I just told you everything I know. And on that note, let's move on to the next subject, and I, we haven't talked since I gave you the captains and leadership committee, so, and this is the end of training camp, so go ahead, fire away. Uh, how is Lewandowski making the transition to center, and what is the reason there are centers that tall, generally? Most centers are shorter than six, five and a half. Well, I mean, Kevin Mawai wasn't short, and he went to the Pro Bowl for a whole bunch of years in a row when I was, when some of them when I was with the Jets. Uh, there's no, actually, sometimes shorter is just that because they have nowhere else they could play them. Usually, short arms is not is not a good attribute for somebody who's going to snap. Okay, what it is a good attribute for is getting your hands inside a nose tackle quickly. That is the only advantage of having you know having arms like that. Okay, but there's no disadvantage of having a tall center. None. Okay, early in camp, be, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I knew things were going were gonna to be a little rough in the very beginning. And although he's a drastic improvement on shotgun snaps, it took him about a week to settle in. Because it's a little different when you're snapping him versus the air in, in the summertime. Now, when you have somebody in your, in your, two inches away from you on every play, that's going to hit you in the mouth. You know, we went through a little bit of a transition, but it, for the last week and a half, you know, it's, it's looked really good in there. What did you see from Andrew Bolt throughout the camp? We talked to Buddy about it, but progress. You know, uh, sometimes you guys have to understand that I'm looking at vision of the future of the program as well. Andrew, I'm going to do everything I can to not play this year, just contrary to what you guys would want. I'm going to do everything I can to not play him. Okay, I'm going to do everything I can to redshirt him. I've already had the conversation with him. 
you know, he's not a, I wouldn't say he's 100% anyway. Well, even though he's over a year out from his knee, I think ideally you can't bring in this many junior college kids and play them all and then have them all graduate at the same time next year because then your numbers, then you're scrambling again for numbers. So just like Jenkins Moore making that decision to go ahead and have that done, you know, now you're planning an extra year out when you could supplant a, a number of those players. So right now, Andrew and I have had in-depth conversation, and right now we both, both he and I, would favor him not playing this year, getting his knee 100% healthy, and being ready, uh, being ready for springtime with two years to play too. When you talk to a kid about redshirt, particularly a junior college kid, is it a selling point to be able to stretch two years of academics into three years and maybe even get a head start on an advanced degree? Well, I, I talk in terms of two and a half years, but so, because I figure that all these guys aspire to play on Sunday, so I talk in terms of two and a half year, Christmas time of the second of the second playing season, because by that time, the, you know, they want to be done with their education, have graduated. So now, if God willing, that they're good enough to be uh, be draft eligible and be able to play, they can focus their attention on just you know doing all they can to put themselves in that position. Each guy is different, you know. I think that there guys, there's guys walking in the door that there's no no issues at all, and the best best thing for them is to play right away. Okay, there's some, but if you're not like I'm gonna put out a depth chart, you know, a week from Tuesday. That's when I'm putting out a depth chart. That's the next time I meet with you, you know, as a with the with the with the press, and that's when I'll put out a depth chart. I mean, but you know, I have the depth chart done. This isn't like you know, like there's any like any big secret that, you know, I don't, it's not like I don't know who's, who the candidates are. But when you look at the junior college guys, if somebody doesn't show up in the two deep, without us getting into the conversation, you can assume that that's the direction it's headed. You should assume that that, that because if not, you would, you would probably see them in the two deep. Previously, that August 17th was kind of your drop-dead date for, for your guys to kind of understand where they fit in. Uh, you don't need to do specifics, obviously, but did you meet that as far as progress went yeah. along? What we did, see, really I broke training camp into, it's really three phases. One is just training camp. Uh, this past week I call transition week because this week we worked on, besides offense going against defense every day for two-thirds of the practice, one third of the practice every day was dedicated to doing things that the other side of the ball don't do. Okay, so for example, the defense every day worked at, we, we devised, you know, Clint came to me we taught first and then I talked to Dave and Clint and Buddy and Scott and we devised a, a system to rapid fire plays at the line of scrimmage. It was pretty funny to watch, to be honest with you. Okay, because we couldn't, what we were trying to simulate is snapping the ball as fast as you could possibly snap it and be legal. And that, you know, that's something I've never practiced before. Do you realize you actually have to practice how to practice in that situation? Because it isn't let's go in the huddle, look at the card, and go run it. Now you have to, have, you know, practice how to do it. And I think that we got better, our show team got better at being able to simulate the speed of the game. And all that will do is make it better, you know, in the long run for the defense. But this was transition week. 
and then next week we kind of dress rehearsal, dress rehearsal game week, game week. So we do everything like a game week, except for Saturday. Obviously, we won't do the same thing, but we'll do the same thing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, just so that anyone who's new to the program, this is how we do things. And then you know we'll have a practice on Saturday, and you know uh, instead of playing a game when everyone else is playing them. The only thing I'll do is instead of practicing at 6.05 at night or whatever, I'll practice in the morning so you know, I can watch college football games in the afternoon. You know, I want to be able to, you know, watch as many games as I can get a glimpse of. And, you know, basically I got no life, so that's what I'll be doing. I'll be watching college, college football on TV that day. How fast were you snapping? Hold on. Finish and then I'll come over to town. Yeah, how, how fast were, were you snapping in those rapid fire drills? Do you have any idea? Uh, 12 seconds or less. Okay. And that's way faster than, than most of the teams, right? I'd say faster than most all of them. Yeah, yeah but I mean, 12 seconds was the latest. Okay. I mean, there were times we snapped it in 8, 10. I mean, because you remember now, these guys, we almost couldn't snap it in time for the guys to get off. You know, uh, so it was the, the conditioning was really for the offensive players running on and off the field every, every you know after every play. It was, it was uh, when we first started doing it, it was kind of comical to watch, to be honest with you. But we got it down now, so at least we know how to practice it. Did you watch college football to steal stuff? Pardon me? Did you watch college football to steal stuff? No, because I'm a cynic. I'm like you. I just sit. I sit up there and say, "What? What a stupid call!" You know, you know. I, I just want to feel how you feel on game days when I'm when I'm when I'm saying this. Actually, actually, believe it or not, there are a lot of coaches that will tell the announcers stuff that you can use. So during the game, you know, a lot of times when an announcer goes into an analysis, and starts telling telling you something, they usually didn't figure that out on their own. Somebody told him that. So, you know, I gain more from listening to what the announcers say because you can gain with the conversations that took place with the coaching staff and let you know how, you know, what they're thinking. Other than the game, I mean, I'd rather, much rather watch the tape we get than watch that. I, I don't like anyone talking when I'm watching tape. I just want to watch the tape. You know, I can kind of usually kind of figure that out on my own when I'm watching, when I'm watching the coaches' tape. Talk a lot about the speed of the game. I'm wondering, um, it seems like college coaches or the college game, they're more likely to be innovative uh, on offense, whether it's the pistol or the spread, um, compared to the NFL. I mean, do, you, do you find that to be the case? And why do you think, why do you think that is if there's so many various offenses in college compared to the NFL? I think the NFL, the, the coaches are much more cognizant of playing complementary football. I think that that's, that's an art that's lost some in college, you know, complementary football. That's why so many scores are so high in, in college and not in the pros because part of the offensive job is to score points. The other one is to protect the defense. So you think about it. If you're going at that fast pace, you better be scoring because if your defense was just on the field and they're gassed and they come off and you go into that same mode and three plays later you're punting, now you're all, now there's a good chance that you know that they haven't had a chance to recover yet. I think that in the NFL, first of all, you have less players. You know, you have less players at a game in the NFL. You have many more college players that are dressed for a game than the pros. 
You know, there's only 53 that make the team and only 45 that, you know, 45 or they might have added a few. I don't know. I'm not there anymore, but 45 slash 46 to go to the game. So you think about you can't guess. You can't go at the time. You have no one to put in. You don't have two full teams. You don't have a full uh, backup offense and you don't have a full backup defense. I mean, you'll go to a game with seven or eight offensive linemen tops. You'll never go with more than eight. Usually you'll go, usually you'll go with seven. So who's going to go in there when those guys are tired? And same thing with defensive linemen. There's a lot of teams that don't go in there with a full second unit. They go with a swing guy inside and a swing guy outside. You know, so it, in college, you because you dress more guys, you can you could play at a faster pace. But I think that that's why you see games like 60 to 53. Who plays 60 to 53? I mean, that's because you got fast break versus fast break with no no concern. About you know you know how how fast the defense has to be back on the field again, and you know we each week when we go into a game plan, you know especially as we're we're starting to get better, you know one of the things you have to do is figure out what gives you the best chance of winning that game. Is the best chance of winning that game is to go four corners, you know the old slow slow the pace down, or is the best chance to win the game to try to score as many points as you can. Obviously, we need to score a lot more than we did last year, or it's a moot point anyway. But when you do go into a game plan meeting early in the week, not at the end of the week, you have to kind of have a plan like, what's it going to take for us to have a chance to win this game? So many new guys coming in and coming into play, significant roles right away. Did you have any concerns about chemistry with the old guys and the new guys, and how did you see that develop during camp? No, I really haven't had too many concerns with the chemistry because we play the best guys. So some of the old guys have have earned their position to to be out there first. And I think that that's that's you know with the with the players that were already on the team, they just want to see you're going to play the guy who deserves to be out there, and that's you know that's what we'll be that's what we're doing. I think that one, the players are not stupid, contrary to popular opinion. Okay, the players are not dumb. They watch the tape. They hear the critique of the tape. And they can figure out who's playing well and who isn't playing well. I mean, so as long as you're playing the guys that deserve to be out there, not the guys, not the guys by reputation or entitlement, I mean, you don't have that problem that you're talking about. Does Combs deserve to be out there yet, or is he a work in progress? He's, he's, right now, he's not a starter, if that's what you're asking. You know, when we put out the depth chart, he won't be, he won't, uh, well, I mean, we got a week yet, but, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of guys in that category that, you know, their, their reputations are really high and their, their ceilings are really high. Okay, but are they better than the, the guy in front of them, you know, or the guy that was behind them for, for whatever matter? You know, you know that, that is the big question. And you say Marquell, Marquell is just indicative of a whole group of guys. I mean, there's some guys like an Isaiah Johnson who came in here and he's been the best safety since the day he's been here, so he'll be a starting safety. You know, but it's not as easy at some other positions. And there's some positions like, like Kevin Short. Everyone, well, it's, what's going to happen with Kevin Short? Kevin Short will be playing week one. That's what he'll be doing. Okay, whether he's playing first or second, I can't tell you, but don't be surprised if he's out there first. Okay, because if he's the best guy, you can say, well, what about all those guys that have been here before him? If they're not as good as them, it doesn't make a difference. You know, whoever's the best gives you the best chance of winning. That's who's going to end up playing. That's, it's pretty simple, this game. 
you know, the best guy plays. Chris Martin was, you know, as you said over and over, what they're supposed to look like, and you lose him. Have your Bucks and, and specifically Ben Goodman made you feel better about that loss? Actually, it, not just Ben Goodman. I think the guy, one of the guys who's had a way better camp than I was ever expecting was Michael Reynolds. And we've all been waiting for this. You guys have been, and so have I. Okay, but he has started to deliver. He has turned a corner. And believe it or not, you know, he's the guy that last year, last year had the most pass rush ability. But we never could get him on the field um, because he wasn't an every down player. And, you know, he hasn't beaten Goodman out because Goodman's playing really well. Okay, but his development has made me even more encouraged. And maybe if that whole thing would not have matriculated, you know, I would not, I would not be saying this about Michael Reynolds. But fortunately, you know, the way he's played, it's, you know, it's alleviated some of the concern. Is there a different dynamic to bringing in a transfer quarterback? Because he's already been in the system and had to grasp, grasp so, many, so many different elements, so many different things about that system. And then if he comes in years, maybe it's a little bit easier for him to do that sort of thing again. Well, first of all, this is a quarterback-friendly system. You know, because everything starts with the quarterback in the system. So I, it usually takes you about a year to really get it down. You know, it really takes you about a year. But once you get it down, it becomes, it becomes pretty easy. It, the system is pretty easy. Once you, you know, you obviously you, you get this big, this playbook and you got to learn terminology, but there's a lot of thought process into things actually making sense and not just, well, let's name it this, let's name it that. And I think that a transfer who can't play has some advantages because now they have a whole year where they can indoctrinate them into the indoctrinate themselves into the into the system, and then it really becomes uh, mentally mentally it becomes a lot easier. You know, it's it's not so easy when you first come in though. It's friendly because of the terminology more so than maybe the size of the playbook. It's friendly because we only do what the quarterback can do. You know, we're a lot of coaches, we're going to do this, but if your quarterback can't do that, what difference does it make? You know, I mean, like last year where we started with a, uh, an extensive passing game and it got smaller and smaller and smaller as the year went on because there was no evidence that we could execute those things. Okay, so if there's not if there's no evidence that you could execute them, why keep calling them? It just doesn't make any sense. So you have to find something else to do. So I turned into an option an option play caller, for which I've never done in my entire life. By the way, every Monday I would come in and say, "Okay, how are we going to run the ball this week?" You know, imagine doing that. I mean, m my father's probably rolling over in his grave if he heard me heard me say that. Because I've always been a guy who believed in 50-50 offense. You know, I like to run the ball and throw the ball because I think it gives you the best chance to be successful. Well, I think that there's, there's not a question who the number one quarterback is. It's not close. You know, it's not close. I mean, there's apples and oranges of who the first guy is. Okay, what's been interesting is, you know, Michael has gotten significantly better from where he was at this time last year. And 
I'd say the two freshmen have gotten better every day. The guy who's really, you know, really going to be tough to, in the future of this program, the guy who's really going to be tough to keep off the field is number two, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, he's, he's going to be really tough to keep off the field. You know, and like I said, right now, I think that just like, just like we're getting a Kevin's conversation from a second ago about a quarterback coming in, having a guy been involved for the, in the system for a year who can get into a comfort zone versus somebody who's been here a month or two, okay, is a big advantage slash disadvantage for those guys accordingly. But, uh, you know, I like both the young quarterbacks, but, you know, the guy who's really pressed in this one that, and has been impressive has been number two. Name's Cozart, by the way. You know, figured I'd throw that in. You'll make sure that you knew I knew his name, John. We talked a lot about the implications of tempo for the defense. Is there anything you'll do differently or tweak in terms of tempo with the offense this year? Well, we've always had it, but Austin, it really goes back to the same thing. If I if if we don't score and go three and out and punt. With the tempo that our defense is going to face most of the games, you know we could lose a hundred to nothing. You know, so you you have to make sure you define. Hey, I love going up tempo. I don't necessarily like snapping the ball every ten seconds, mind you, but I do like going no huddle up tempo. But you have to do what's best. You know what you guys feel is the best way to give your chance the best chance of winning the game. Last year, sometimes it was just way the best way of playing the game. You know, you, you'd like to think in year two you weren't thinking in that mentality. Well, you know, you're thinking more along the, what's the best way of winning the game. How do you evaluate your, your kickers in camp? I mean, you know, so much of that is what they do on game day. Whoever kicks the best. <laughs> is, that, is that a layup? Is that a bounce pass? His first slam dunk. <laughs> I mean, that's that's. That, I think the kicking competition is just about done. Bull, bull. There's not very much gray area left. You know? I mean, you guys have seen it. I don't have to tell you, you know, where we are. You'll, I'll give you a depth chart a week from Tuesday. But I think you could do the math right now, and, and you could tell me who to. Who's kicking field goals? Who's kicking off? Who's punting? Who's long snapping? Who's short snapping? You know, the only question we'll have is, you know, who the returners are. And, you know, I want to have another week to take a look at Kevin Short because that's one thing he's really good at. And, you know, give me another another week to go through, you know, some of these guys and we'll announce those the starting returners or the two deep in returners too. But I think that the kicking situation I mean, you've seen for yourself. I don't need to tell you who they are. I mean, it, I think it should. I think it should be pretty obvious. Kickoff and punts are obvious, but the, the field goals. I think it's pretty obvious. That's why I should ask Matt. <laughs> uh, I think if he doesn't know, then he hasn't been going to practice. I think he. I think he can figure that one out. You want to tell them who it is? I want to hear your answer. It's Wyman. It's Wyman. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Has <laughs> he got a good and short and long because he's separated himself? It's whoever puts it. You know those two those two <laughs> poles there? <laughs> okay. It's the whoever puts him through those poles the best. The yellow pole. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
Speaking of Lemon, I was curious, where did he come from? I mean, where did you find him? The dorms. <laughs> He walked on in this. We, you know, we have this thing where we, we advertise trying to, you know, get people uh, going to school here to, to walk on. He walked on last spring, and he went through, you know, conditioning because we make them go through the conditioning to see, you know, whether or not we can have him out there and out there and kick, kicked okay and got to the spring game, made a few and better, kicked better in the summertime and, you know, came in here, you know. A distant, you know, distant in the and the initial thought process of the depth chart, but he's, you know, he's a candidate to be the field goal kicker, you know, because he's kicked so well, and he's kicked very well. He's got good pop. He's got good range. I mean, he has no problem making it from 50 yards. Uh, he has no, no problem making it. He's been very consistent, and he has a legitimate chance of, of being. He has a legitimate chance of being named. The field goal kicker on uh, a week from Tuesday. How did you come out health wise from camp? That's always a concern, obviously. I think that uh, we have some bumps and bruises, but no one, there's, other than uh, Jenkins Moore, uh, we actually had a couple of appendixes uh, within three days. I had two appendix taken out, not me personally, uh, uh, but uh, it looks as though. It looks as though, uh, it looks as though that, you know, we won't have anyone. Knock on wood. It looks like we won't have anyone that's not ready to go for the opener, other than Jenkins Moore and maybe Tyree. But he looks like he's gonna, you know, he'd be ready too. You know, I think that, you know, which, I can't ask for much more because we, we beat the hell out of him pretty good here now. Charlie, what impressed you about this no-weird guy? What does he do for you now? I didn't have to recruit him. That's what impressed him. You know, he, uh, you know, his his coach, high school coach, reached out to one of our staff members, saying that he was being released. Would we have any interest? Of which I said, of course, I'd have interest. You know, I'm, I'm getting a kid for nothing. You know, and we did homework. On, we did homework on the guy, and you know, he's a he's a top line talent. He's not just another guy. Isn't like somebody's coming into your program that's just you know some kid off the street that's going to be your fifth quarterback. You know, this is a kid who's going to come in and compete. He's going to come in compete to play. So you do some homework. You find out you know his mom, you know went to KU, you know was from Kansas, lived here till he was eight years old, moved to Fort Worth. You know, he's going to go to school either in the Midwest or down in Texas. Okay, they're driving back from UCLA. They want to know if they can stop through. You know, it wasn't like it was preconceived. You know, had to make sure we got uh, permission from UCLA to talk to him through their compliance uh, compliance guy. So he got us, sent us a letter, and I t you only can talk to him once, you know, it, Unless you're scholarshiping on a guy, you only can talk to him once, or it becomes a recruited walk-on. You know, so I called him up. And we had a long, we had a long conversation, and he came in, and we spent a whole day where we went through our whole deal. You know, and after watching him on tape, I mean, this is an easy one to sit there and come in here because you know, it's it's nice when you get a top-line player that wants you. 
you know, wants you even more than you wanted him. You know, and, you know, I was, I had my number on the board for this year in recruiting to be zero slash one. And the one was if a special situation presented itself. And he was the special situation. You know, so uh, we're glad to, we're glad to have him on board. Conjecture here, but did you get that phone call maybe because you've taken in other transfers and maybe the coach saw an opportunity here? That I'd like to sit there and say that that was a big reason. I, he told me it was a reason. I'd like to credit his mom more than anything. You know, I think I think his dad, they're a very close family. His, his actually his sister's some uh, a TV anchor within a couple hours of here somewhere. Uh, who's a Missouri fan, which is that's bringing a couple chuckles to me, by the way. But um, their whole family gets involved in these type of things, and he had a nice day. But you know, his mom felt really comfortable, and the kid felt really comfortable. And he went back to the hotel and talked to his dad. Then he talked to his sister. Then he called us the next morning, and um, we had already gotten gotten going. He's a very bright student, which you know, which helps because now you're not just talking about a football player. You're talking about a kid who could walk into the College of Business, which is not an easy school here, and get get admitted quickly because his academics are so strong. So that, from my end, when somebody comes late, I have to do all the due diligence academically because we don't dump that on somebody else. You know, we want to know exactly what we're dealing with academically. So when I'm start dealing with Paul Buskirk and the academic support staff, I make sure, you know, we can identify strengths and. And, and any risk, and in this case, that was another thing that appealed to me, that he's such a bright, bright young man and a good student, it made it easy for that transition as well.